All right, let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have tonight to study your word. We trust you with it, that you will grant us the enablement, grant us the power and the ability to preach your word according to the inspiration of your spirit and to preach it accurately, that your name will be glorified and your people will be edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are still uh, focusing on the uh, doctrines of the church of Jesus. Uh, our text is 2 Peter 3, verse 3. It says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. It says, this will happen. It's not whether it will happen. It will happen, and we're living in the days it's happening. People scoff at the world. They teach whatever they like. They don't care whether it's true or not. They follow their own heart's desire. And Peter warned that this last days, deceivers will be everywhere. Second Peter 3.15. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. 16, speaking of these things in all of his letters, in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture, and this will result in their destruction. They read the scripture, they don't understand it. Instead of praying for God to give them understanding, they take off. Take off. And start talking whatever they like about it. You know, something like the love of God, it passes it all understanding. Grace passes it all understanding. So they read about grace, they, they don't understand it. Oh my God, they just take off and twist it, twist it, twist it. What of this? What of that? What of that? And they have no fear at all. In the same Second Peter 3 3. Okay, we read Second Peter 3. Paul also, in 1 Timothy 4, said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, it's so gentle, that in the latter days, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. They were in the faith, but they would depart, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The devil will be behind all of these things. And it's going to come from Anywhere he's, he's given opportunity, from pulpits, small pulpits, big pulpits, he's going to come from anywhere he's able to penetrate. Therefore, we have been emphasizing that the Bible is the only source of and arbiter of doctrines, not man. The Bible. If you don't teach it in your church, go and read it in your Bible. 
If they don't teach it right, people guide like, go read it in your Bible. The Bible is the only source of doctrine and the habitat of God's doctrine for the church of Jesus Christ. Not a human being who was saved like you. The only infallible person is the Holy Spirit. There is no man who is infallible. And so our Lord Jesus points us to Scripture to tell us that the Scripture testifies about him. So in John chapter 5, 39, he says, You cite the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. So if you want to get an accurate testimony of Jesus, information of Jesus, his life, what he does, go to the Scripture. And you will not come to me that you may have life. His disciples confirm what our Lord Jesus just said. John 1.45. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him. We have found him. Of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. The scriptures was telling us about him. We have found him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Peter, Paul was not the only one that wrote about the importance of the word of God. Peter also was writing. Remember, Peter was writing to Christians and about the persecution they were passing through and warning them about backsliding and, and, and leaving the faith. So he was trying to show them that the word of God is what they should trust. And so in 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again. So he started telling them, see, you are born again now, but not to a life that will quickly end. It's not a physical thing. Your new life will last forever. It's an eternal thing. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. You see what the value of the word of God is? Then he continues in verse 24. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower feeds. But, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's so reliable. Everything can change, but it cannot change. Remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It remains forever, remains true. Can go to the scripture, read it for yourself. It's always true. And then the psalmist told us that the word of God is settled in heaven. It's unchangeable. It's so reliable. It's unchangeable. In Psalm 119.89, your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. It stands firm in heaven. In the spirit realm, it stands firm. Your faithfulness extends to every generation. Every generation, the word of God is faithful, is true. As enduring as the earth you created. In verse 91, your regulations, that's your word, remains true to this day. For everything serves your plans. 
go to the word of God. It testifies about Jesus. Everything there is true. In heaven, it's solid. Heaven backs it up. On earth, it's faithful. Unchanging. Reliable. But you know, the, the devil models the waters in interpreting scriptures. He goes right there to model it up. So we're going to talk about it. So some people start off and they say, yeah, you know, we want to follow Bible. And they quote scripture, stop there, and take off on a tangent not related with scripture at all. Oh, the devil is a deceiver. He quotes scripture and take off on a tangent, talking something totally different, their own interpretation of scripture. What they think is saying, it's all too common. But what does the wisdom of God say in 2 Timothy 1.20? It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You cannot give it your own view, your own opinion, your own interpretation. That's corrupting the word of the living God. Nobody has the right to do stuff like that. You know, Jesus warned us. He said, if you make these little ones that believe in me to, to, to fall off, he said, you are better you are not born. Don't let the devil use you. The consequence, just don't even want to talk about it. It's not gara gara thing. You can't give scripture your private interpretation, your views, imaginations. You don't have the luxury. If, the, if you have no fear of God, stop preaching all those things. Don't corrupt God's word and corrupt people. Verse 21, 2 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. So you, a man can give it his own interpretation. You can be whatever title you hold and we respect that. But this scripture didn't come from the will of man. But holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. So in interpretation of scriptures, first of all, the Holy Spirit opens our inner eyes to understand scripture first. Be more eager to learn than to preach. Some people are eager to preach, they're not eager to learn. And that's where this trouble comes from also. They, they get to preach, but then they get to learn. You should be more interested in learning first. More interested in learning. It doesn't matter your position. Learning continues. So the Holy Spirit opens our inner understanding to understand scriptures. 
Acts 16, 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Tyre, Tyre, which worshipped God. She worshipped God. Heart us, whose heart the Lord opened. is the Lord that opens our heart, that she attained unto the things which were spoken of Paul. If the, is the Lord that opens our eyes. For this word is not of man. It's understood, not with human intellect. It's understood with the inner eye by the spirit of a man. For faith is of the spirit. Faith is not, of, it's not an intellectual exercise. Faith is not an intellectual exercise. That's why people who don't understand laugh at it. Because you're dealing with things you don't see, but they are real. So you can't engage your intellect that deals only with the things you see. When you're talking of things that are real, substance of things that you don't see, but they do exist. God, for instance, that's why people don't believe the Bible. We say we believe it. We preach, we believe it. But when the chiefs missed, chiefs are down, when the rubber missed the tire, you realize we don't really believe. We don't. We can't stand and say, yes, this is true. We fear. We fear. We look for plan B. We fear. Because we don't yet believe that God is. We're not grounded in it. So he opened her eyes, her understanding, to attain, to understand. That's number one. Then the Holy Spirit uses scripture to support that revelation he gave you. I want you to hear this very well. It's not only that he opens your eyes, but he uses scripture, other scriptures, to, to support it. Because the Holy Spirit cannot violate his word. He points us to scripture, he opens our eyes, then he uses other scriptures to affirm what he has shown you. That's how interpretation comes. Look at it in 2 Corinthians 2, from verse 12 to 13. And I'm reading TPT. For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all the grace all that grace has lavished upon us. We receive the Spirit of God so we can understand it. If we don't have the Spirit of God, we don't understand it. So we can understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. And we articulate these realities with words imparted to us by the Spirit and not with the words taught by human wisdom. It cannot be be taught by human wisdom. It's not theology. It's revealed truth. Settled in heaven. Established in heaven. That has been. The word has been. The word is God. Realities with the words imparted to us by the spirit and not with the word. What's taught by human wisdom. We, we join together. Listen to this now. We join together spirit revealed truths. And 
Spirit revealed words. Spirit revealed truth. And Spirit revealed words. It points you to Scripture. Gives you revelation. And brings Scriptures again to support the revelation he gives you. You join together. Spirit revealed truth with Spirit revealed words. Join it together. So the scripture tells us in Matthew 18, 16, but if, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, three, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. It's not one witness. You can't take one verse. Scripture, Holy Spirit gives you revelation. Then he takes revealed word. It gives you cross-references about that revelation he's giving you to support it, to support it, to support it. Now, in the church, in the early church, we're talking about interpretation of doctrine. Going back to the Holy Spirit, going back to the Word of God. As of yet, it hasn't pointed us to a man. Here we see the role of men now in all of this. So when they had a major doctrinal issue about grace, sorry, like people still don't understand the, the work of grace today. Now, see what they did. One man didn't stand up and say, well, this is the doctrine. No. No. They called the elders, the pastors, the leaders together. So that the matter of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Acts 15.5, but there arose up certain of the sect of Pharisees, which believed, saying that it must needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the, and the, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Came together, even though they know it's wrong, but they came together. Came together. And when they came together, listen to this now, they began to consider it and they referred to scripture to conclude the matter. God revelation of the Holy Spirit and revealed word to conclude the matter. Nobody stood up and said, no, I'm the archbishop here. So everybody must do this. No, he didn't do that. And so, in Acts chapter 15, verse 13, we're talking about interpreting scriptures. Because that's where the devil models up everything. Acts 15, 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. 14. Simeon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. 15, and to this, listen now, listen very well, and to this agree the words of the prophets. What Peter told us agrees with the word of the prophets. That's why we should take it. Oh, we're not taking it because it's Peter. No. We're taking it because it agrees with the words of the prophets. 
He agrees with the word of God. And this agree with words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is falling down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, 17, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, said the Lord, who doeth all these things. God does all these things, verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is this. We've seen what Peter said. We've seen what the scripture said. So now let's conclude this matter based on the fact we've seen, interpretation. That we trouble not them, quit from among the Gentiles, are turned to God, in verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time had in every city them that preached him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. He said, because the scriptures also said these things. Then in verse 22, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. See how they interpreted that. Then when they wrote them in verse 28, they said, for it seemed good to the Holy Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Say the Holy Spirit and us. Confirmed by Scripture. Remember that Paul had tremendous revelation. But in all his revelation, God instructed Paul to go to the leaders. God gave him the revelation of grace. Nobody ever had it. It was first time. And God said, go to the leaders. Why? God will not violate his own word. God has said that every word, every spirit must be judged. Judge all things. God follows his word. Again, not Paul or no Paul, it doesn't matter who we are, what we teach needs to be judged. If God sent Paul to say, go let them judge what I'm telling you, who am I and who are you that you should stop people from judging what you are teaching because you have a title? Are you going to be greater than this scenario we're seeing here? So God said to Paul, take this revelation to the leaders. Let my spirit is in them too. Go there. Galatia 2, 2. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I've been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure, listen, brethren, there's no pride in this thing. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement. Paul didn't say, I know God gave it to me. Oh, I know God revealed it to me. Oh, God, God. That spirit is kind of. 
Subject yourself under the mighty hand of God. Be humble. If it's God, he will prove it. If it's God, he will prove it. He will confirm it. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to fight about it. You don't have to hate anybody about it. You don't have to talk evil of anybody about it. Let God fight his battles. If it's his word, he will prove it. I used to fight the gospel, the, grace, the gospel of grace. I used to tell people, I said, this, this is a new. I used to be angry. But God was patient with me. Patient with me all those years. And those people were also patient with me until God opened my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, what have I been preaching? I've had people come to me. So one sister came to me, said, Pastor, I was crying. It's like something left my eyes. And I realized that the grace of God is the message. I have a brother from this church who went to help them somewhere else. They were planting a new church. I was talking with him. He said, Pastor, anybody not preaching the grace is preaching the wrong message. I said, now you see that? He said, yeah, I see it clearly. <laughs> I said to me, Pastor, I want also to take you out to, uh, to, to New York. I want to take you, to, you, you like classical music? So I want to take you to Broadway to go and uh, entertain you for what God has been, God, what God taught us through. His eyes opened. You don't fight over it. You be patient. You be loving. You be humble because it was God that opened your eyes. So Paul said, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts have been wasted. I was running the race for nothing, verse 3, and they supported me. The Spirit is one. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Go to them. Let them judge it. It's my spirit in them. I give them revelation. I appointed them leaders. And I, I walk through them to confirm to you what you are preaching. You don't have to be afraid of being judged if God is speaking through you. Interpretation of scripture. Interpretation. So let us emphasize again the central doctrine of salvation by grace received by faith alone and not by works, being born again. The devil is our hawk trying to preach the wrong gospel so that people think they are saved, but they are not saved. Eternal destiny is not what you toy with. You must make sure that you received your salvation through grace and by faith only and not by your works. So, the salvation that Jesus brought us is the key that opens you to all the blessings of God. It's the key 
that gives you the right as a child of God, a member of the family of God. You see how important it is that you do it right. It assures you a place with Jesus when you leave this earth. It saves you from the wrath to come because Jesus bore the punishment for your sins and for my sins. It saves you from the power of Satan for we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Brings you deliverance, complete. If the sun shall set you free, you are free indeed. It brings you healing to your body. It brings you healing to your body. For the law of the spirit life in Christ Jesus set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is this. The scripture said, the soul that sinners shall die. Sin brings death. Sickness is part of the process of death. But when you receive Christ Jesus, child of God, that process of death because of sin comes to an end immediately. A new situation arises in your life. The Bible says it's another law that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. No more death or threatening. Life in Christ begins to operate. And that life of Christ in you will kill any disease. It will kill any germ. Because this, it immediately brings it to an automatic end. A new law is operating in your life. Brethren, salvation is marvelous. It's beautiful. You are no more under the curse. For Jesus became a curse for you. You are under the blessings of Abraham. Brings you into the kingdom of God. You have access to God. You can say, my father, Abba, my God, Abba, Father, Heavenly Father. You are no more a stranger to him. You don't need anybody to go to him for you. You are loved like Jesus is loved. Salvation is not what you do. It is what is given to you and you receive it. It's not what you do. It's what God did for you. It's what God is offering you and you receive it by faith only. Let's see 2 Corinthians 5, 18. I'm going over it here because this is where the devil stakes his peg, confusing people, denying people, deceiving people. They want to receive what Jesus died, paid, and we sing it, Jesus paid it all. And we're not receiving it, we get frustrated. Our, our relationship with God will not be vibrant because we are frustrated. We're not seeing anything happening. Yet God sent his son to die for us to have this thing. We pray and pray and sweat and sweat, and the devil says, see, this is not working. How can the word of God settle in heaven? Faithful for all generations. Not be true. Can it not be true? 2 Corinthians 5, 18. And all of this is a gift from God. It's not what you do. Prayer is good, but it's not your prayer. 
It's not your holiness. It's good to live a holy life. That's if you understand holiness. Because some people think holiness is tying a tie. Holiness is living the life of Christ. Christ is holy. It's living love. Love is holiness. Purity is holy. There is no evil in love. God is love. He who does not love is not holy, does not know God. Holiness is not uh, tying, tying your this and tying this and you're wicked. You won't forgive people. If the spirit of last days grabs you, you don't forgive, you don't walk in humility. That's not holiness. Holiness is not even advertising how good you are. Holiness is letting Christ shine to you. You become an aroma of Jesus. You die and Christ lives. That's purity. For only him is holy. To him be all the glory. The flesh cannot produce the life of God. Cannot produce holiness. Because the flesh will profit you nothing. Only what God does is holy. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Don't let anybody teach you anything else. Without Christ, we can do nothing. We live by faith. Only by faith you can please God. Only by faith in Jesus. Paul said, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I've received this new life so that all who have received this, this new life no longer live for themselves. For this life is the life of Christ. It's the new life that God gave us when we came to Christ. We received Jesus. Not for religious talk. So that Jesus we live through us. Salvation is what God gives us. Received only by faith. It's not what you do. It is that salvation that produces the goodness of God. Called the fruits of the spirit. It comes from the vine who is Christ. We are branches. Jesus said a branch cannot bear fruit on its own. We are branches, children of God. It's a life of faith in Christ. And he produces all of that. Through the sap he feeds us with. By his spirit. By his word. By his life that is flowing through us. So Christ is all and all. And to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salvation is not what you do. It's what is given to you. The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. You didn't bring yourself. He brought us back to himself through Christ Jesus. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, telling people, here you come. Salvation is yours. Come, come and take it. Come. He didn't give us the, he didn't call us to condemn people, tell them about their sins. He gave the task of reconciling people. 
Say, God, in Christ has paid for your sins. Come and receive forgiveness of sins. Come and receive salvation. Come and receive the gift of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, everybody that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, is saved and has eternal life. And if you want to experience all the blessings from the benefits of the cross, you must know more than the basics of salvation. You must know more than the basics. You must know more than Jesus died for our sins, because that's where many Christians are. Jesus died for our sins. I used to be there. I couldn't say more, because I didn't know more. Jesus died for our sins. It's not enough. It is true. Absolutely true, the very major truth. But you have to know more. You need to understand that he made you righteous. You need to understand he made you a new creature. He gave you his life. You need to understand all the things that Christ did in your life. You must go beyond the basic people. If your church is not teaching it, read your Bible. Go get it from your Bible. Read the book of Romans. Read it, New Living Translation. Language, language changes. What is evil concupiscence? That King James used. Language is, language is not, it's, it changes. Language is always transiting and changing. So don't look down on the translations that give you the present day meaning of the words that were written hundred and something years ago, the Victorian language. Don't look down. Take your King James Version, all right, I do have it, and I read it, but then I go to New Living Translation, and I go to other translations, and I see, oh, this is what this word means in 2022. If they deviate from it, I found out, because I'm going to be reading my King James Version background, but I'm going to see what this means in 2022. What does this word mean today? Because what it meant then has changed by today. Every language is dynamic. Every language, including your local language. So you do that, you will understand better. Some people think we are reading King James Version in heaven. You are wrong. You're very wrong. And you must learn to appropriate this benefit. Because this is why the devil is fighting Christians. And Christians are not experiencing the benefit of the cross a lot. And because of that, their faith is dampened. Their enthusiasm is affected. Because they are struggling with issues. And then the enemy eats people like food. He, 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 he says... If you go there, I have the anointing to help you. If you go there, if you go there, and what you are going there to look for, Jesus died to give you. What are you looking for? Are you looking for power? You were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you received power. So what power are you looking for? You have access to God the Father, the Almighty God. Your prayer is good, good enough. 
many Christians are not preaching the gospel because they are not experiencing the reality of it. So there is no excitement. We go to church, we go home, but we are frustrated within. Many things are not working out. And we are wondering why. It is not an indictment. I want us to challenge ourselves. For in Christ, God gave us all we need for this life and for godliness, all of it. But you have to go find them, read them, appropriate them, confess them, speak them, because the devil will fight it there. Because he knows if you grab this thing, if you grab this thing, it's yours, it will work. And he doesn't want, to, he doesn't want it to work for you. Because if it works for you, maybe you'll be so excited and you'll be starting telling people. So he wants to fight you there. That's why we're back there again emphasizing it. We're emphasizing it. Again, if your church does not teach it, do yourself a favor. Get a good Bible. Go read what Christ. Read the letters that the Holy Spirit wrote to you. Read Acts, Romans, Galatia. Before you get to Ephesians, you will understand everything Christ did for you. It's all there. It's all there. If you go to, if you, the Bible tells us, tells us it's amazing, revelation. That Jesus was made sick so that I be healed. That's true. I too, I too fight all manner of, man, all my, the devil throws everything at us now. But you take your shield of faith, for this world is faithful from generation to generation. Sometimes the devil says, oh, this will kill. I say to the devil, either way, I don't lose. If I die, I'm going to heaven. What do I lose? You can't frighten me with death. If I die, I'm going to heaven. Those who are crying are wasting their time. <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. I said, I don't lose nothing. But you can't kill me anyway. But don't frighten me with death. Say, oh, this will kill you. Kill. Stop that. Either way, I'm a winner. He said, well, if you die now, what will happen to you? I say, you're wasting your time. The Lord will take care of everybody. So what do I have to do? I'm not afraid of death. Push a And when you, when, you, when, you, when you kick out his fear, your faith rises. He uses fear to paralyze you. Say you are going to die. This will kill me. Start running around. <laughs> I said to the devil, listen, either way I'm a winner. If I leave this eight, I step into glory. God will give me the new body. I don't want the, what is this? I'm getting a new body. <laughs> I'm joining St. Triumphant. I'm getting, having a good time. Woohoo! <laughs> I said, I'll break your heart. <laughs> I don't I'm, I'm not losing anything. <laughs> you know? And he, he keeps quiet. <laughs> I said, don't frighten me with death. Stop. In Christ, we don't lose. In Christ, we win. In Christ, we always win. If I close my eyes today, thank you, Jesus. I'm home. <laughs> All the people remaining, God will take care of them. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Brothers, 
The devil can't take it because the hair of our head is uh, counted. <laughs> Not one is falling. If he falls, then God has said it's time. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. So let's not allow him frighten us. Let's fight the fight of faith. Stand strong and you will see the glory of God. Doctrine of laying of hands. Let me start this with introduction uh, to this doctrine. Number one, there are facts we need to note. Number one is God does everything according to his purpose or his plan only. God does everything according to his purpose or his plan only. Not according to man's purpose or to please men because they are rich or poor or whatever reason or any caliber of human being, men pleasers cannot be servants of God. Every pastor, every Christian, every leader, you must have Galatians 1 verse 10 engrafted in your spirit, in your heart. You can't be a servant of Jesus if you are a man pleaser. If men will sway you, you cannot be a servant of Jesus. You can't serve two masters. God does not do his things to please men. That's an insult. Look at Galatians 1 10, I just said. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Paul said, Do you think I'm trying to please men? For if I still please men, I will not be a born servant of Christ. You can't be a man pleaser if you want to be a servant of Jesus. But then you begin to compromise on the truth, compromise on principles, because you don't want to offend some people. Then it becomes doubtful who you are really serving. So God does his things not because he's a rich man. He is giving, he's giving the pastor this following. Some people are giving money to have anointing. Trying to please, please pastor. It's all junk. Anointing for sale is demonic. Everything of God is freely given. The Bible said they will make merchandise of you. Come out of such stuff. You don't pay for anything. Peter said to Simon, thy money perish with thee, for you think that the gift of God can be bought. So God makes everything work according to his own plan for you. So in Ephesians 1.11, it says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance. This is his choice, people. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. <laughs> he makes everything work out according to his 
plan. Not my plan. Not your plan. Not according to who you are. See, relevant to God. That's number one thing we should know. When we come talking about the anointing of God coming on you, it's according to his plan for you. Not according to, it's not according to what you want or what you wish and all this kind of stuff. Number two, God's anoint, the anointing of God from God is not from a man. Nobody can give what he does not own. You can't give people anointing. You can't be calling people, say, come, let me anoint you. Say, you'll be anointed. You can't be doing stuff like that. If you have, if you own the power of God, you become God. We're just mere vessels, and we're going to read it in the Bible. Men can use vessels to bring his anointing on somebody, but they are, not the they are not the originators of it. They are not the givers of it. They are just vessels that God is. Look at um, John three twenty-seven. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Nothing. Including anointing, you can't. Unless it is given to you from heaven. Unless God anoints you. Because Psalm 62, 11 says that God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. It's his property. Let me tell you something. You know, if God, if, if, we, if we own the power of God, we decide who, who we can heal and who we can heal. God will heal some people you, you don't believe will be healed. He will leave because you don't know anything about it. People say, my anointing. I'm looking at them and say, what is your anointing? <laughs> I said, I have my anointing. <laughs> my anointing. My anointing, you know, I'm protecting my anointing. You don't own nothing. Came into this world with nothing, leave this earth with nothing. The power is God's. A lot of those things build on some kind of pride and a sense of entitlement and a sense of recognition. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 7. We now have this light shining in our heart, but we ourselves are like, listen to this now, we are like fragile clay jars. <laughs> That's what we are. Fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, which is this, the revelation of the word of God. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are simply fragile clay jars. But this power working in us is from God, not from ourselves. You don't own no anointing. It's not yours. Stop intimidating people. Doing total gaga. God chooses who to use. And how to use it, when to use it, the gifts to, to his one is from God, not from our, ourselves. First Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only spirit who distributes 
all these gifts. He alone, he alone, people, decides which gift each person should have. He alone. He alone. Hebrew 2.4. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. It's not when you choose. It's not, you can't be switching on this and say, my anointing, let me use my anointing. Can't be doing that. He owns it. It's whenever he chooses. Whenever he chooses. It's simple English. I don't know. Can I interpret it? In, in, whenever he chooses, he does it through you. Whenever he chooses. It's not yours. You don't control it. <clears throat> and then the, the scripture commands us not to, not to be in a hurry to lay hands on people. So you can't be calling people who give you cars and things and be, say, let me lay hands on you. Have ordination. Make, give them anointing. Following you like, this person hold your phone. This person hold your phone. This person hold your handkerchief. This person hold, hold the key to your car. <laughs> they are following you. We're, we're Elisha, following Elijah. We want anointing. My friend, drop that thing. Go and sit down in the chair. Stop all of that. First Timothy 5.21. Charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you should observe these things without prejudice. No favoritism here. Doing nothing with partiality. 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Don't do that. Don't just decide I'm laying hands on. Don't do that. It is God that chooses and instructs. So let us now see from Scripture what this, what this laying of hands means. In Numbers 27, 18, we see, number one, that it is done when God wants to commission people to, to an, an assignment he's giving them or into a post he's called them to. So it is done for commissioning people into God-ordained call or offices he's called them to. So Numbers 27, 18, the Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him already. Joshua has the spirit in him already. And lay your hands on him. It is divine instruction. Present him to Eliza, the priest, before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. See why the laying of hands? To commission him to lead the people. 20, transfer some of your authority. Transfer some of your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will obey him. He said, now I want him to carry out some of your duty so you lay your hands on him to commission him into this thing so that I will anoint him for what I am calling him to do. 
Verse 22 says, so Moses did as the Lord commanded. It's not as Moses wanted. It's not what Moses wanted. Then now we have this kitchen ministry. Kitchen ministry is one of the most difficult ministries in the church. Food can cause trouble. Kitchen ministry is very tough. The insult they get, the abuse they get, because of food. Once there is food, many people lose their sanctification. So we look down on kitchen ministry, but it's one of the toughest, very important in the church. Very, very important ministry. And so, it, remember in the early church, it was food that caused trouble. And then the apostles said, no, we have to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer while we appoint some people to take care of this food. But the people we are going to appoint are people who have wisdom, who have integrity, and who are full of the Holy Spirit. Because this thing needs such people, not carnal people. Because if you put carnal people and people insult them, they start a, a fight. He said, he said, don't talk to me like that eh? because I'm serving you food. No, people who are spiritually matured, when you saw them, they absorb it. They love you. So now look at what happened there in Acts 6 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenos and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, six, whom they set before the apostles, listen to this, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Did you know you have to lay hands on people when you commission them into the kitchen ministry, when you commission them into to lead ministries, to lead life centers? This is the process. And verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and the great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Now, let me look at this one that, you know, people used to be chasing people. They say, Elisha followed Elijah, the mantle fell on him. Now, let's read it from the Bible. Again, remember, we use scriptures. So, in 2 Kings 2, verse 9, and so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what you may. What, ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, ah, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened. As they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two men. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now listen, in the time of Moses was rod, Elisha, uh, cloth. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Did you think Elijah, Elijah needed that cloth where he was going? He didn't need it. Of a necessity, that cloth must fall. Of a necessity. Because where he was going, what's he using with the mantle? God orchestrated all of these things. Because that mantle, that cloth, he can't take it to heaven. Nothing, you can't bring cloth to heaven. That thing must fall. It's not taking it. Divine orchestration. Why? Because God has called Elisha to be in place of Elijah. And God has proposed what to use Elisha to do. And if you look at the ministry of Elisha, Elisha did double the miracle of Elijah according to divine purpose. It was God's purpose and plan. Remember that when Elijah called Elisha, he struck him with that mantle. And Elisha left everything and followed him. The willingness came from the anointing of God. He left everything, followed him. He just touched him. Divine instruction, divine purpose. For God does everything according to his purpose and plan. That mantle is going, he's not going to have, he's dropping. His word is kind of cloth. First Kings 19:15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebermohala, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. I'm going to continue this ministry through him. Still want to do great things. God orchestrated all of this. Why? He does everything according to his purpose. Elijah didn't say, Elisha is following me. Because he's following me. All that ask is Elijah, God. All that ask and things like that is inspired of God. It's the finger of God moving all of that to fulfill divine purpose for Elisha. He needed that. God has planned to use him to that extent. The Bible says we have measure of grace. God has planned to give him that for the purpose of the task ahead. So can I read about Paul and Barnabas' ordination, Acts 13, 2 to 3. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way for the task God has called them. Timothy ordination by the pastorate. First Timothy 4, 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy when with the laying on of hands by the presbytery when Timothy was anointed and commissioned as a pastor. Paul said, you had gifts that came to you because of that. And remember, Timothy was a young man, so he was afraid. And then Paul told him, no, you don't have the spirit of fear. You should stir up this gift that God has given you. Be bold in preaching. Be bold in, in being a pastor. Now, we see again, Purpose of laying on of hands, healing the sick. 
Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. Even if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Why? The law of the spirit of life in Christ is working. It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It didn't say they must immediately. It said they shall recover. Recovery can be immediate, can take a while. They shall recover. They will see laying on of hands in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19.5. When they had this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. You see, when Paul was converted, they laid hands on him too to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Street, inquire in the house of Judah, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayed, and has seen in a vision a man called Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man who how much evil he had done to the saints at Jerusalem for him. And, have, and here he had authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he said, chosen vessel unto me. I have chosen him. The chosen vessel unto me. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel's system. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hand on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. Now, let, let me even talk about, did Paul really give the gifts of the Spirit to people? Like some people use this to say, I can give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's read it. Romans 1, 8 to 12. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that you, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He's talking about Roman believers. For God is my witness. Listen to this, church. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. What am I praying for? Making request. If by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. I can't stand up and come unless God sends me. I'm praying that this will be the will of God for me to come to you. Paul can't stand up and be giving gifts. So look at verse, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you 
by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, he says, I, I want to come, but you know, I, I can't come on my own. I'm praying if it is the will of God that God will send me. What is this impartation of spiritual gifts? But if you read 1 Timothy 4.14, now, you will see what the same language is used there. Now. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, by the laying on of man's of the presbytery. Maybe he was talking about coming to do ordination service for them. Because he used the same word for gift here. For gift here. That by laying on of hands, gifts was imparted to you so that you'll be able to function in the office that God called you. He said, yeah, because you, I want to, so that you establish in the faith. So that you establish in the faith. Maybe they needed him to come and commission them in all their offices and things. That, because he was the apostle that planted all those churches. But he said, I can't even come unless it is the will of God. Unless God sends me. Because all things come from him. Paul can't wake up and say, hey, I'm coming next Sunday. I'm coming to lay hands on you, give you spiritual gifts. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. I am praying, making requests, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. If, if, if God will send me. When he sends me, he will anoint it. He will get it done. Now, in closing, I want us to note a couple of things about this. Laying on of hands and the things of the Spirit. God does not commit his work into the hands of unfaithful men and women to start with. You are following somebody, thinking they are following him. You get that, you are deceiving yourself. Because God will not violate his word. Second Timothy 2.2, 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God says the faithful man who can find. You can't be living an unfaithful life and thinking God will commit into your hand precious things. Again, what is your motive? Is your motive self-aggrandizement? So you people say, I'm anointed. I have the anointing. I remember one pastor shared a testimony, how he was praying for anoint God. And the Lord said to him, he said, why do you want this anointing? I said that I spread the grass, we say no. It's because you went to the other church and I used you there. They gave you a lot of money. So that's why you want. God knows our heart. So I'm not giving you. Why do you want it? Why are you following him around? Following the, why are you doing that? Do you even know the purpose of it? Do you know, the, do you know your call? Do you know the purpose of it? James 4.3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because you, your motive is all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure so that you have following. Yeah, I'm anointed. Uh, my, 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 my anointed. <laughs> oh, God, have mercy on us. First Corinthians 14, 12. Even so you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek these things to sell. Let it be that God will use it to build the body of Christ. Not because you, and then get anointed, won't listen to your pastor again. You have anointing now. So you become boss. You become a big man. Then people start following you, give false prophecy and all manner of junk. 
It is important that you learn. Focus on learning than, than teaching people. Focus on learning. Focus more to learn, to build your faith, to grow in Christ than going to do something. When you change it like that, the devil will help you out. I'm praying that God will help us in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the word you brought to us today. Trust in your spirit to cause it to bear fruit in every hearer. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.